Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to... Kathleen Powell, Supervisor of Historical Services and Acting Supervisor of Cultural Services. And Sarah Nixon, Public Programmer here at the St. Catharines Museum. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. In early 2019, the St. Catharines Museum opened a temporary exhibition called Outbreak. The exhibit explores the 1918 Spanish influenza pandemic and tells a larger story about public health and disease in St. Catharines and in Canada. We opened this exhibit to commemorate 100 years since the influenza pandemic, but we could have never guessed just how relevant this exhibit would become in light of the global pandemic we are currently facing. In this episode of Museum Chat Live, I will be chatting with Kathleen about the museum's outbreak exhibit and what we can learn from the 1918 influenza pandemic as we face COVID-19. Kathy, let's get started with the exhibit itself. Can you tell us about the Outbreak exhibit and explain why the museum chose to present an exhibition on the Spanish flu? We decided that we would do an exhibit on the Spanish flu because we were really interested in um, marking this um, 100th anniversary of this thing that happened in our community. Um, The Spanish flu was uh, kind of similar to what we have going on today, but uh, was something that happened a hundred years ago that a lot of people don't really know about because the end of the First World War was happening at the same time. So it kind of overlapped with something that was a much larger world event. And uh, so we just wanted to bring a little bit more visibility to that uh, particular event in our history. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, with the Spanish flu coming in 1918, the world was consumed with the end of the First World War. So our record of the Spanish flu isn't like the record that we're currently seeing of COVID-19, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, The Spanish flu record is a lot, uh, there's a lot less out there about it. Uh, mostly because most of the news was happening through newspapers and uh, word of mouth. So at the time, it wasn't the same as, you know, we have instantaneous communication through social media, through the internet, um, TV, all of those things. Well, we didn't have that in, um, in 1918 when the Spanish flu was happening. Most people were hearing about it in the media. And then at the same time, the media had a lot of uh, restrictions on it because the world was fighting a world war. And so they didn't really want people to uh, hear false news or hear news that might, you know, freak out the population and cause them to panic and things like that. So there were a lot of things that weren't actually um, reported in the newspapers because uh, because of uh, the um, restrictions on what newspapers were allowed to publish. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for clarifying that. So... 
I guess since the museum is currently closed to the public and we are closed until further notice, I thought it might be good if you could give us kind of a brief audio tour of the Outbreak exhibit. Uh, maybe you could share some of the themes we explore and what kind of artifacts we have on display. Uh, a virtual tour of the exhibit. So the exhibit kind of started out that the the exhibit was going to be, in my head, the exhibit was going to be about the Spanish flu, about how it impacted St. Catharines, and uh, really just more information about uh, the virus itself and you know, the, the things that were happening 100 years ago at the same time. But when I started to do the research for the exhibit, I got really a lot of interest in um, public health in Canada at the time and just how Canadians in general were um, dealing with viruses and disease in the country. And so some of the themes ended up being more towards public health in the 19th century in Canada and what led to the public health situation we were in when the Spanish flu broke out, uh, but also taking a look at how the Spanish flu compared to other uh, diseases and pandemics that had happened in the world over time, and then how St. Catharines dealt with the Spanish flu uh, epidemic when it was happening. Uh, and then at the end, I really wanted to cover a little bit about more modern day. So there is some information in our exhibit about the SARS outbreak that happened in Canada uh, and across the world, and also about uh, modern flu and modern influenza research, and really more about where are we at in the modern day if we go back and look at the Spanish flu virus overall. And what kind of artifacts are on display to help tell the story? So the artifacts that are currently on display in the exhibit are artifacts that are related to healthcare and uh, health management, but not necessarily connected specifically to a Spanish flu story in St. Catharines. Uh, mostly because we don't really have those connections in our artifact record about those objects. It's possible that some of those artifacts might have been used at that time, but we don't really know for sure. So we have some artifacts that are uh, donate, were donated to the museum by a local doctor, and so they would have been the kind of implements that a local doctor would have used at the time. Uh, we have some artifacts on display that are uh, medicines and uh, kind of quack type cures, and we also have the generic hospital type artifacts that would be, you know, bedpans and microscopes and those kinds of things that you would see in a hospital in 1918 when the city was working on uh, fighting the Spanish influenza. What's so interesting about the exhibit is that, just as you say, it's not just about the Spanish flu. And I learned a lot about public health and disease in Canada, especially in, you know, the early 20th century in the exhibit. Could you share more about this particular theme? Public health in Canada started in the 18th century and essentially in what is now Quebec, they had laws and rules for people to keep their uh, cities clean because there was this whole theory called the miasma theory, which was that germs and disease was spread from bad air and from dirt and refuse. And so they figured if you could keep your community clean, then uh, that would uh, um, hopefully keep 
disease and and um, viruses. Well, they didn't really know about viruses, but hopefully keep disease away. Is that where the like the whole idea of bad humors was? Yes, and that was kind of a similarly. It was a similar theory, except for this was this theory that your body was totally controlled by different humors and that you needed all your humors to be in sync to be able to be healthy. And the humors were related to the elements, so fire, air, earth, and water, and you wanted all of those humors to be in balance. And so if you got bad air, that would maybe throw the air part of your humors out of balance and that would make you sick. So this was the theory that really drove early public health in the 18th century. Yeah, exactly. And that was the theory that Canadians were working with early on. By the time of the Spanish influenza, there was still this miasma theory that was out there because they didn't have an understanding of germs, the germ theory. Uh, People couldn't see germs because we didn't have... um, electron microscopes, so you couldn't see germs under the microscope just yet. Uh, But uh, people were starting to have maybe a slightly better idea of how things passed from person to person. Uh, But in Canada, we had a very large outbreak. Actually, it was an outbreak across the world of cholera in the 19th century. And that really moved public health along quite a bit. In 1832, cholera reached Canada. People thought cholera was spread by these bad smells that were coming from garbage and from decay and sewers and stuff like that. But in actual fact, it was uh, spread through uh, feces in water, essentially. So if you drank bad water, you would get sick from cholera. But because people thought it was from dirt and disease and bad air, they thought that the way to clean it up would be to get rid of dirt and and things like that in the air and in your communities, but also they um, thought that quarantine was also a way to stop it. Anyone coming to Canada through immigration was supposed to be quarantined. They were quarantined on an island called Gross Ill, uh, where they were supposed to wait for a doctor to come and take a look at who was on the ship and whether they had any symptoms, and then the ship would be quarantined or the immigrants would be allowed to disembark and go their merry way across the country. That's interesting. That has a lot of similarities to how we're encouraging international travelers to quarantine now for 14 days. The biggest challenge with quarantine at that time was that there was a lot of uh, racism related to quarantine. And um, if you were a white, rich traveler at the time, sometimes you were just let pass through and not really tested. There was really no testing, but not really checked on what your current health was. But if you were an immigrant from another country, they thought that immigrants were dirty, and so they kind of kept them in quarantine but let other people pass through and if let if you don't keep everyone in quarantine it doesn't work so that's really challenging so there were some um racist ideologies that they were using to determine who was you know quote unquote dirty and who was clean yes exactly and public health ended up mimicking mirroring that a little bit because legislation related to public health was sometimes uh, anti-immigrant because of that idea that potentially immigrants were carrying disease versus white Europeans not carrying disease. This cholera epidemic was a 
a huge public health crisis. Like, technically, we didn't have public health. I'm calling it public health, but technically, we didn't have official public health at the time. But it was actually a major crisis. By the time the cholera epidemic subsided in 1832, 6,000 people had died from the disease. So it was pretty big. It was a pretty big deal. And uh, so it's not surprising that people were trying to find some answer to what they can do to try to mitigate the, the effects of it. So can we bring this conversation up to 1918 with the Spanish flu? How did our public health response change then compared to 1832? The difference between cholera epidemic and Spanish flu is was really a difference of science. So eventually there was a better recognition of how outbreaks happened and how um, medicine and early public health could uh, be um, responsive to the influenza or to any other epidemic that was happening at the time. The thing that I think that is difficult to sometimes wrap our brains around is the idea that even up to the start of the 20th century, people didn't understand how diseases were transmitted. So they still didn't understand, even in 1918, germ theory. So there was still people that believed in this miasma theory, even in 1918. And so really germ theory was starting to become more popular and people were starting to have a better understanding of it because of uh, scientists like British scientist John Snow, who had been studying a cholera epidemic in London and realized that it was being transmitted from human to human. But germ theory really was, was not the predominant theory yet until well into the 20th century. And then the other thing is that the discovery of the electron microscope didn't happen until 1926. So it didn't even happen until after the Spanish influenza outbreak. But once they discovered the electron microscope, they were able to actually see the flu virus under the microscope. So prior to that, they weren't able to even see what they were working with. So it was a really a challenging um, thing. And then, of course, as you know, even today, we don't have a great understanding necessarily of how the flu works, how it mutates, what it does. So we still don't have all of our knowledge of what that could be and we're talking about 100 years after the Spanish influenza outbreak. So we're able to find a few common threads between the 1918 Spanish influenza pandemic and the current global pandemic, the COVID-19. How is the outbreak exhibit relevant today as we live through this current global health crisis? I think it's relevant because it's always helpful to know what happened in the past to potentially be able to respond to things that we have happening in the current day or would could potentially happen in the future. I think that having an understanding as well that sometimes the things that we're living in, while they are totally unprecedented for us, people who lived in the past might have experienced something similar. It's not the same. Obviously, the people are different, technology is different, life is just different in general, but we can take some things from what happened in 1918 and try to use them to take into our mind and to have it kind of help us to cope with what we're dealing with today. What can we take away from the experiences of local St. Catharines residents in 1918? Do we know much about them? 
I think the uh, interesting thing about the experience in St. Catharines in 1918 is that some of the things are pretty close to what we're experiencing today. So for example, in 1918, most people had to deal with their symptoms and their uh, situation from home. So if you were experiencing the Spanish influenza in 1918 and your case was something you could handle from home, you were asked to stay home and to, uh, to kind of be nursed in your home rather than going to a hospital. The other thing is that they created isolation hospitals in St. Catharines at the time. And we've seen in Niagara that they've created places that are basically in isolation for people who have COVID-19 to be able to go and to be taken care of in one place by experts in that in the care of that disease. And it was the same for the Spanish influenza uh, in 1918. There were specific places that you could go where you would be taken care of. Everyone was taken care of the same. Everyone had the same problem. And uh, um, the the medical practitioners who were helping you out would be able to uh, kind of be more efficient about how they were dealing with it. I think at the same time that in 1918, St. Catharines was also dealing with the same kind of debates that we've had in Niagara and in Ontario about what to close and what to keep open and what can we do personally as citizens to try to mitigate the, the spread. I don't know if we can really make a case that we know a lot about how local citizens individually dealt with it, but we do know that in newspapers at the time that there was a lot of debate about whether to keep businesses open, whether to keep open businesses like theaters, entertainment halls, whether the best thing to do was to just open the doors and have more fresh air, whether you could keep it open and have social distancing. They didn't call it that at the time, but essentially that's what it was. And what to, to do to be able to keep the economy running when really you don't want people hanging around together. Yeah, that sounds like exactly what's in the news today. So it's interesting to kind of take that comparison. Do you know, did St. Catherine shut down their theaters? Do we know that for sure? Eventually we did, but we definitely didn't do it very quickly at the time. There was a real concern at the time about businesses suffering, uh, and it's a legitimate concern today, just as it was then, that businesses would suffer and that the local community would suffer because of it. But uh, eventually, so many people were sick that they had to they had to take action, and that's really what happened. And schools, some schools were closed. We don't have all the information because there isn't a great uh, paper record of what happened in St. Catharines, but the newspapers do have some information, but they don't cover everything. So some schools were closed. Businesses like theaters especially were the ones that they were talking about were closed. But there were also less places that were businesses that people would go and all hang out together. We have a lot more of that nowadays than they would have had in 1918. I didn't come across any evidence that they were closing public parks or uh, places in the in the fresh air where people would congregate, which is that is different from the Spanish influenza epidemic versus today, because essentially city facilities included buildings at the time. They weren't big, huge public parks like we have nowadays where we have to, to be cognizant about who's hanging around together uh, and how we're spreading the virus that way. 
There's definitely a difference there in that the government seems to be handing down these really strict rules about, you know, no gatherings over, you know, five or more people and closing down parks and even trails. And I think the restrictions are put in place, you know, obviously to stop the spread. And, and I do wonder if people back in 1918 knew what we know now about viruses and disease, if maybe they would have closed down parks or other public places, because as we know, the Spanish flu was quite devastating in Canada and around the world. Yeah, I definitely think so. If there had been a better understanding about how viruses can spread from person to person, I'm sure that there would have been a much uh, more fulsome discussion about public places being closed, uh, outdoor public places. They did speak about public places being closed that were indoor public places, but they never spoke about uh, outdoor public places being closed that I found reference to. Right. Is there anything noteworthy or special that you'd like to share about this exhibit before we conclude? I think one of the interesting things about the exhibit and about the influenza itself is there was still not a great understanding of Spanish influenza until recent times. So the thing that I found the most interesting at the end of the whole thing was that Researchers have been studying influenza for 200 years, but in actual fact, when it comes to the Spanish influenza, they weren't able to sequence the DNA of the virus until 2005. And even then, they're still studying it, and they're still not completely sure they know how this particular strain of influenza started. So the other thing I found really interesting in doing the research about the Spanish influenza was the uh, the name of the disease. So I know there's been lots in the media about COVID-19 and what it was going to be called back when they first uh, discovered this virus that was spreading across the world. And then there's definitely been a lot in the media about what to call it, how to refer to it. Uh, of course, we don't want to refer to it as in one particular country because it's all over the world. But in 1918, it was called Spanish influenza. It's an interesting fact about how that happened. During the First World War, the one country that was still reporting uncensored information in its newspapers was Spain. And in early 1918, before the disease got really bad, the Spanish newspapers were already reporting about particularly virulent strain of influenza that was going around. And this was in the spring. Eventually, the disease mutated to be worse in the fall of 1918. But in the spring, the Spanish newspapers had already started to report on the disease and so it started to become known as the Spanish influenza. But in the researching of the disease, that disease can be traced early on to American military camp in Fort Riley, Kansas. It had appeared there early on before the Spanish newspapers had already started to report on it. If the disease started in American military camp in Fort Riley, Kansas, it's possible that those soldiers um, who were infected with the disease and may or may not have known about it because it was not as virulent in its first season, took it over to Europe when they went overseas to fight in the First World War, and then when they were returning at the end of the year when the war was over, uh, might have brought it back to North America and spread it that way. We do know for sure that Canadian soldiers spread it across Canada as they returned from the front and basically road trains across the country. You could see the spread of the disease go from one side of the country based on soldiers moving uh, by train to head home at the end of the war. 
Oh my gosh, that gave me such a, a stark visual of just how quickly the disease must have spread here in Canada and, and around the world. Yeah, for sure. And co- communities that recognized that this was happening and who took action to try and quarantine their communities did the best at the time. it is our job to look at the current global pandemic with a historical lens. Much like we've done with the outbreak exhibit to tell the St. Catherine story of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, we are working to ensure that the St. Catherine story of the current COVID-19 pandemic is also preserved for future generations. In the face of COVID-19, the St. Catherine's Museum has launched the Legacy of a Pandemic project. We are putting a call out to the community to collect journals or diary entries, creative writing, or photography representations of how the current global pandemic has affected you, your family, and your community. We want to collect your stories and experiences as society shuts down around us and as we work to fight off this invisible enemy. Please visit our blog at stcatherinesmuseumblog.com to find out how you can contribute to this legacy project. Also, once the museum is back open to the public, hopefully that'll be sooner rather than later, but whenever that happens, we welcome you to come and have a look at the outbreak exhibit in our galleries. Absolutely. I think it will lend a lot of food for thought, you know, as we experience in the current pandemic. So we are very excited to eventually welcome you back to the museum. Uh, Kathy, I want to thank you so much for coming on Museum Chat Live today to talk about the museum's outbreak exhibit and what we can learn from the 1918 pandemic. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. This podcast was produced by Sarah Nixon and Kathleen Powell. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canals Centre and the City of St. Catharines.